Well, let's uh, open up our Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 3. Luke uh, ended last week with a summary of all that the church began to do as a new fellowship, a new uh, group of followers of Jesus. It, uh, it was the result of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the apostles. And we see that after Peter preached that 3,000 had given their lives to Jesus and began to follow him. It says that they, they repented and were baptized and they continued in fellowship with one another, caring for one another's needs. And so Luke will now begin to show us how Jesus, through the lives of his apostles, and how, how Jesus used them to minister in Jerusalem. Remember, that was the um, kind of layout for the book of Acts, that the ministry uh, that Jesus had called them to would begin in Jerusalem, but then would move on to Judea, Samaria, and then the uh, rest of the world. And so today we are going to start in Jerusalem. We're going to see uh, what occurs really at the center of the religious Jewish life, which was the temple. That's the, the setting for today's message. It was the center of all of their religious life for the Jews. The place where the Jews would make their pilgrimages to from all over the world to attend the Jewish festivals of Passover and Pentecost. We discussed the past couple of weeks. And this is where sacrifices were brought to the priests and prayers were lifted up to the Lord uh, throughout the day. And then we, as we'll see today, we'll, uh, we'll learn that there was lame and sick people who were laid near the gate entrances to the temple to beg and to ask for money or food from those that would come to worship. And so this is the setting for today's message. We're going to be looking at, at the first 10 verses. So if you're there, uh, why don't you read with me? It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping, stood and walked and, re and received strength. I'm sorry. Stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Luke begins to tell us what is going to be happening through his, uh, the apostles of Jesus Christ. And he starts with two of the main characters one of which we'll hear the most about, which is Peter and John, Peter, along with John. They were both apostles. They were men that were called to follow Jesus, one of Jesus' earliest followers. Both fishermen, both were business partners together in this business of fishing. And they followed Jesus from the beginning. 
Jesus said, follow me to them. I will make you fishers of men. And they were going about their daily life, as we learned in our last week at the end of chapter 2, that, that the disciples, they, would, they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And we see this instance where Peter and John were going together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And within the Jewish uh, religion, basically, there were these, these hours of prayer, uh, three different hours, the third at 9 a.m., the sixth at 12 p.m., and the ninth, or the evening time of prayer at 3 p.m. We see David talk about them in the Psalms in Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning and noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. It was a, a, their, their uh, rhythm of prayer that they uh, held, to, held to in talking with God. And so we see them uh, going up to the, the temple at the third hour, or the ninth hour at 3 p.m. to pray. And it would correspond with the offering of incense in the evening sacrifice. But we see what these men had become and who God had shaped them to be through their relationship with Christ, and that they continued in prayer. This was something that was uh, so central to that early fellowship of believers. They were men of prayer, looking to the Lord for guidance and direction. And this gives us a good lesson of the type of men and women that God will use, is those that are men of prayer and women of prayer. We see that as they were going up to pray, that a certain lame man, a certain meaning that he, this was one that was visiting there often, who was there at the temple, a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And we see that this lame man, he was lame from his mother's womb. This was all he knew. This lifestyle of, of having to be carried about uh, his whole life, uh, even how he might look, he would have had atrophied muscles from the lack of use. And really, it's we see the emphasis being placed upon the hopelessness of his situation and that there was nothing in and of himself he could do to provide for his needs. He was totally reliant upon others. And we learn something about him later on in Acts, in chapter 4, verse 22, that he was over 40 years old. So 40 years old. I hit 42 the other day, and I was thinking, you know, man, my whole life, to be in such a state of helplessness uh, and, and how much I've been able to do of my own strength and such, you know, providing for my needs and taking that responsibility of myself, uh, trying to place myself in his situation where he had nothing but the help and the generosity of others to be able to survive. And we see that people did that. He was carried to the temple daily. This was his routine. This was the way he could get by. And, and it was by the generosity of others, of family, of friends. It was the best that they could do. They might even give him what he needed at times. But the best they could do was just continue to help him do what he could do. And it was his, relate, uh, his routine to be there daily at the gate of the temple. Now, I wanted to put a picture up here, I guess. I hope it's not too small uh, 
for you to see, but I sent a picture of the temple, Herod's temple, so that we can get an idea. Well, as he's working on it, we'll have um, a picture up here, but I wanted to kind of give you guys an idea of the layout and where the uh, beggar would have been sitting. So there was gates that were mentioned. This beautiful gate was probably a popular title for the Nicanor Gate, named for its Alexandrian donor, the main and largest gate made of the most expensive bronze. It was, the court, it was in the court of the women on the east facing the gate of the sanctuary. It must have been especially beautiful in the light of the rising sun. It was situated about 15 steps beyond which neither women nor the maimed and unclean could pass. It may have hosted beggars on its step who could appeal to those going into the court of Israel, um, appealing to them for generosity. And so you can see here that the outer perimeter, that's composed of different rooms, but also Solomon's porch, which we'll learn about later on that lower half. But in the center is kind of the main portion of the temple. And in the very center of that, the tall structure is the Holy Holies. And outside of that would be the uh, altar where they offered the sacrifices and the court of Israel is on the inside. So if you can see it really clearly, you can see that there are steps all around the temple place in the middle. And that would be where the beggars would, would be at, where they could uh, seek the support of those that were going into worship. And so that helps kind of create a picture of the locations that are mentioned in our study today. I might post that to our WhatsApp later if anybody is super interested. They can look at it a little bit closer. But we have this beggar. He's sitting at the gates and he's asking for these alms, these, these money or food donations. His only source of income is all he could do. His life depended on the charity of others. He couldn't work for himself, so he relied on, on others. And what is, works out for him is that in Judaism, charity was really stressed and highly regarded. So, you know, he could easily be taken care of because it was promoted to take care of the poor. And, you know, you could see it all throughout the Old Testament. But Peter and John, as they were going today, this man caught them walking up. It says in verse 3, that we're seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. He caught them right before they went in. This would have been really a normal interaction with anybody that was coming in. And before John and Peter went in, the man asked them for something that he asked everybody. But this was going to change. Something was different this time. And it says that Peter looked at him and said, look at us. It says, Peter fixed his eyes on him. Look at us. Turn your, your gaze, your attention upon us. And so the man, it says that he, he gave them their attention. And Peter's looking intently at him. And I, I thought about that interaction too. Usually eye contact with those that are begging is something that you're really trying to avoid, right? You don't want to make the eye contact because then you're just like, oh, now that we're locked in and I got to tell them that I don't have any cash on me. You know, or, you know, you feel bad because you would want to give if you had something. But, you know, it's not an interaction that at least we Westerners are very welcoming of. Not unless you're feeling charitable that day. 
But Peter says, look at us. Fix your eyes on us. And so the man gave them his, their attention, expecting to receive something. And maybe with this kind of special interaction, the guy's like, oh, today's the day. Today's payday. They're going to really hook me up this time. But Peter, the first words out of his mouth, what does he say? Silver and gold I do not have. Can you imagine the beggar at that point going, what? What's he going to say to me now? You know, his expectations were instantly, you know, not met. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. What else do you have that I could have need of? And what Peter says next expresses some of the, the greatest faith. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. You see, silver and gold for this beggar would only get him by one more day. Or if it were a substantial amount, it might get him by a few more days. But eventually it would, it would run out. Eventually the food that might have been given to him would grow old if it was in surplus. It would only ease the situation of that day or the next, but he'd be back begging again. And what the man asked for was really just a temporary solution to a greater problem. And how often our prayers can be like that to the Lord, right? Sometimes we're just asking him, Lord, you know, we bring these kind of beggarly things. Lord, fix this issue right now. Fix this thing for me right now. But what God is really wanting to do is something much more greater in our lives. Something that we might have to uh, trust and we have to have faith that he is actually working out in our lives. Our prayers can sometimes be short-sighted or limited. Asking for small things when God really wants to do something greater. But after many years of begging, this man's life was about to change. Peter says, what I do have, I give to you. Peter knew what could change this man's life. It's what changed his life. It might not have, Peter wasn't healed from a lameness or anything, but Peter's life was radically changed. And he saw Jesus touch lame people. He saw Jesus uh, cast out demons. He saw what Jesus could do. He'd seen it many, many times. And so Peter speaks out in the authority, in the name of Jesus. And he says, stand up and walk. In the name really is speaking and saying by the authority of Jesus Christ. The healing power that Peter expressed was through the Holy Spirit and not of any power of his own. We see in Luke chapter 10 verse 17 uh, that Jesus had just begun to send out his disciples. And we saw the sending out of 70 disciples returning from the ministry that God had told them to do. And they were rejoicing and they, they were saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were experiencing that great power of God through the name of, of Jesus. And then Paul, later on in Acts, there was, there's this situation where he's, he's ministering and this demon-possessed girl followed them around for many days and was 
And it says that Paul greatly annoyed. He was annoyed by her presence because she kept interjecting. She actually wasn't saying anything bad, but she was disrupting what was happening. And it was it was confusing people. And so he stands up and he turns to the spirit and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. We see that in the name of Jesus Christ means is acting as his representative, I say to you, or Jesus cures you. In the name of Jesus Christ, he says, rise up and walk. So Peter takes the man by the hand and lifts him up. What faith, right? Faith on Peter's part that Jesus would do the miracle. That he was committed to what Christ had called him to do. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul describes the different gifts of the Spirit to the church. Exclaiming that they are all the same Spirit working through these various ways. And faith was one of those gifts. Interesting enough, it's followed by the gifts to work miracles and healings as well. So we see Peter express that faith and we see a miracle wrought in the name of Jesus. And so we have this illustration of the Spirit at work through Peter and John, gifting them for that specific moment. And how wonderful that even the faith to do these things in the name of Jesus is a work that comes from Him. That means that it's accessible to all of us. It's something that the Lord would do in our hearts, want to do through us. We see that the man sought money to improve his circumstances, but God desired to change him and to use his changed life to reach others with the gospel. Let's look at verse 8. What is the outcome of this great miracle? It says, So he, the man leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And when they knew, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Such excitement and praise flowed from this man's life. And you can't help but see the repetition of he was walking, walking, walking. He's leaping and leaping and stood. You see him doing all of the things that were completely opposite to the last 40-some-odd years of his life because of what Christ had done in his life. And the overflow of joy, the passion at which he had just experienced because of what Christ had done in his life. But it also began to draw the attention of those that were going to the temple. They realized who this man was that was praising God, walking about and leaping. He couldn't hide his joy from what the Lord had done. And they began to be filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And as I was thinking about this, this time, do you guys remember in John 9, the story of the blind beggar who was healed by Jesus? Before Jesus healed the blind beggar, his parents, or his parents, sorry, his, this, Jesus' disciples looked at Jesus and said, Who sinned? This disciple asked the disciples, this man or his parents? They were assuming that this blind person was 
blind because of some sin. It was related to sin. But Jesus said, neither his man, this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then Jesus went on to heal him. And sometimes we, we see situations that are very difficult and very hard to understand. But God has his own purposes in and through them. And purposes that we think there could be no good outcome from. But that could totally be used by the Lord to reach others for his name. So don't be discouraged. But God has a, a plan and a work that will be revealed in you. And this miracle here opened the door to witness. It opened the door to minister to those gathered there in the temple. I was on the phone the other day with uh, Kephas, uh, our, our brother who um, over in Nigeria, we, we support them, their church plant that they began 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. And uh, we were just talking about ministry and things that were happening in and through the church. Which, if I can find the time, I need to put together some of the pictures that he sent so I could share with you guys. But um, he was telling me about this new ministry that they had begun. Uh, really, chiefly his wife has had the opportunity to be able to go into these schools in one of the towns that uh, Pastor Greg and I and others got to visit when we went to Nigeria. And it's ministry within the schools. See, uh, Tina has been trained to, to in music, so she can teach others music, and they use this as an opportunity for ministry. But she also was incorporating lessons uh, about the Lord. And on one visit to the school, uh, she entered into the classroom, and she saw a young, uh, one of these young people sitting in the back corner with a hoodie on and, and looked kind of rather cold, but separated from the rest of the group. And um, it caught her attention, and she just went back, and she asked if he was okay, and he was saying that he wasn't feeling good, and, that, and so she prayed for him. Hey, can I pray for you, encourage you? You know, just wanting to minister that loving heart. And so she went on about continuing to engage with the rest of the classroom and the, the other students there. And right about as she was about to start, this, she saw in the back of the room, this, the countenance of this young man change. And just as Tina was going about doing her own ministry that the Lord called her to do, he, he says, can I, can I say something real quick? And, he, and she says, sure. And so he stands up and he testifies about how after Tina had prayed for him, that he had begun to feel better, completely better, that his chills and the fever had gone. And it was just a simple testimony that the Lord who worked in this young man's life and through the, the ministry of Tina to cause this young man to stand up and say, I, I think we should listen to her. I've experienced a change in my own life through, through her prayers. And so this opened up the door for her to be able to clearly communicate what she had been called to teach at that moment. And what Kephas ended up telling me was that that same boy was so impacted that he began coming to the church and was finding ways to serve and help out at the church. That's one thing I loved about my ability to go to Nigeria and to be a part of that missions trip. I, the way that ministry went down there, I felt like we were in the book of Acts. It's like the best way that I could exp 
explain it to anybody. As I read the book of Acts, and, and the disciples just went about normal ministry, talking to people about Jesus, correcting misunderstandings about God's word, but they held to God's word. We saw great things happen among us. But we see in this book of Acts that when we see a miracles occur, the emphasis is not upon the miracle, but the miracle itself would open up people's attention to the message of Christ. And Jesus is preached. And we see here that the miracle of this man being uh, lifted up and strengthened opened the door for the message to be preached. Let's look at the next few verses here in chapter 3, starting at verse 11. It says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we, made a, we had made this man walk? And so the attention is drawn and people start coming over to see what's going on. And Peter responds to the amazement of the people that were coming to them. He says, men of Israel, and th- these were Jews that he was addressing. These were those that had been raised... Uh, attending these feasts, and, these feasts and worshiping at the temple. These were primarily actual Jew, uh, Jerusalemites because the festivals have, have uh, passed and, and people began to head back home. So this is the, the city folk. Those were, these were the, the real ones that uh, were from the town there in Jerusalem. He asked, why are you marveling? They were looking at Peter and John so intently as though they were the ones that had done the work. And the crowds were jumping to the assumption that this great thing that had been done through them was according to their own power and their own godliness. It was believed by Jewish people at the time that wonder workers did miracles because of their great piety. And that they could do these things because God paid attention to them. And sometimes that's how we view some of our religious, you know, Leaders or, or, you know, pastors even at times is that they're so, you know, godly and stuff that God does all these great things for them, but he can't really do anything for me. And that's wrong to think that way. We have a propensity to put people on pedestals and to think that one being used by God is super godly or righteous and that God only responds to them. But that's a wrong way to think. But then there's also the propensity of the one being used to think more highly of themselves than they ought to. And that's something we have to guard against when God uses us. And so this is a warning, but it's also a correction. Who gets the honor when God compliments your life? Or when when people compliment your life? Are you who you are because of what Jesus has done in your life? Or are you self-made? Are you able to take all the, the compliments? Was it he who saved you from the destructive behaviors and made you whole? Was it he who set you free from bondage to anger or wrath to show love and grace? Or did you do it yourself? You have people who don't know who you were before Christ. They can look at you now and say, man, they're a great person. Look at them, how kind they are, how generous. But had they known you before Christ? They would have said, there's no hope for that person. 
or maybe even harsher words. But the true wonder worker that we see in our passage today is Jesus, and Peter points everyone to him. Now, Peter has a message that he's going to continue on, a message of healing that is meant for the crowd. Much like the lame man was healed, he has a message that would lead to the healing of those listening as well. He's going to present their diagnosis that they crucified the Messiah. He's going to present the remedy, repentance, the wiping away, the clearing of sin. And then their responsibility to heed the voice and receive the Messiah. And then we can see what the result will be. First, their diagnosis that Peter presents. Let's look at verse 13 here. It says, It says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So we see the crowds that were uh, gathered at the temple, temple that day were unaware of their own lameness. And Peter will use this opportunity of the healing of this lame beggar to show his fellow Jews their own need for healing. He speaks to them of how they delivered up the Messiah to be crucified. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is the way that the Lord revealed himself to Israel and to Moses. The God of our fathers, the one that all who have gone before us followed, glorified his servant. The servant of God is, is it's a phrase that occurs in Isaiah and in reference to the Messiah. A reference that the Jews would recognize. We see in Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And in Isaiah 52, 13, Behold my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. So we see that God has glorified his servant. And Peter makes the connection to this servant, the Messiah, as Jesus. And he's emphatic in placing the blame for the crucifixion of the Messiah on the Jews. And when Pilate wanted to release him, they were the ones crying, crucify. But this was part of their diagnosis. They, they were guilty in need of forgiveness. You remember that night when, when Jesus stood before Pilate and, and Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, It is as you say. But it was at that same time that he was, there was a tradition going on where they could, the Jews could request the releasing of one who was a prisoner. And you remember the story, it was Barabbas. And, and Pilate asked him, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? Because Pilate knew that Jesus was not guilty. He wanted to release him. 
Do you want a, a murderer or do you want this guy who just says he's the son of God? Give us the murderer, is what they said. But the chief priests and the elders, they persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus. And to destroy Jesus is what Matthew tells us. And Pilate goes, what do I do with him? And they said, crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate, to the point, was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I washed my hands. I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. And then it, he released Barabbas to them, and Jesus was led off to be crucified. But look at what Je- uh, P- Peter says to the Jews. But you denied the Holy One and the just. It's interesting. Pilate calls him just, and, and Peter emphasizes that very fact. Asks for a murderer to be granted to you. In contrast, Pilate wanted to let him go, but they wanted him dead. They exchanged the holy and just one. Speaking of Jesus' righteousness, his purity, his holiness for a murderer. One of guilt. Guilty of bloodshed. And they also, Peter says, that you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. They killed the prince of life. You see the, the contrast in those, in those words? The Prince of Life described Jesus as the author of life. Jesus as the source of life. Peter used this to speak of Jesus as the originator, the leader, the pioneer of life. And Jesus truly being the pioneer through his death, who would lead, lead others and forge a way for others to live as well. We see in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. Jesus, the Creator, the source of life. In Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He is before all things and in him all things consist. You see that? The greatness of their offense is amplified in the understanding of who they rejected. But what they did did not conquer him. Peter says that God raised him from the dead in contrast to what they had done by taking his life. And they, Peter and John, are the witnesses to this fact. This was the fact that they testified to everyone. This is what we will see them testify over and over and over and over again. It's the same testimony that we have, that Jesus has risen from the dead and that what we believe in is sure and true. And in his name, in verse 16, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. They knew who this man was, and they're seeing the result of what Jesus did in his life. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Through him, through Jesus, the object of faith and the source of it. Peter completely turns those listening to him over to the Lord, thinking that 
there was anything in Peter that can make no mistake now. This was a work of Jesus Christ. Nothing had been done by his own power, but solely through Jesus Christ. So we see that the Jews' rejection and crucifixion of the Messiah was a symptom of what needed healing. Their sin, their rejection of the Messiah. And what they saw in the healing of this lame man was the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ to manif- manifest it through the apostles. Now, Peter presents their remedy here. Looking at verses 17 through 21. Peter shows that God had already knew what they would do and has supplied the remedy for their sin. Repentance and acceptance of Jesus as Messiah. His presence, the presence of the Lord, and looking to the full healing of all things. Look at verse 17 with me. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by... Uh, the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. They were the ones to blame for the killing of Jesus. Yet Peter says they did it in ignorance. But that doesn't relieve them of the guilt of sin. Sin committed in ignorance is still sin that needs repentance of. There were uh, means uh, in the Old Testament, there were means to atone for sins that were unintentional. Sins that were... uh, went by unconsciously, but when the person was made aware of them, there was still a sacrifice, the shedding of blood that needed to be um, presented on behalf of that sin. It's still sin, even if it's done in ignorance. But it was in ignorance because Peter really believed that if they had known who Jesus was, they wouldn't have done it. But Peter is shedding light on that situation. He's revealing, hey, you guys have sinned against the Messiah. But God announced these things beforehand. He says, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. We see in Isaiah 53, we see in Psalm 22 how the Messiah would suffer. And that their crime, that the crime of the Jews actually carried out God's purposes. And so... There is hope. And the remedy for this this diagnosis, for the healing for their sickness, was repentance and conversion. That even though they killed the Messiah, their guilt does not shut them out of receiving forgiveness. If only they repent. This is a turning to God, a turning and receiving Jesus as his Messiah. It's in a... A repentance describes an about face, a change of direction, a change of mind that plays out in one's actions. They were going to be changed. And it's so that, one, your sins may be blotted out. That is, wiped away or erased. What a thought. That every 
the, the great sin of their rejection of the Messiah, that the hope of all Israel was on this Messiah showing up, and they're learning that they've rejected him and they actually killed him. Think about the guilt that we bear over the sins that we've done in the past. And that is because of Jesus' Christ, Jesus Christ shed blood upon the cross, that we can receive him and, and receive that wiping away of all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of that sin erased. But it's all in the changing of our minds towards Christ and following him. But also, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What does refreshing look like when you're walking with the Lord, when you're coming to Jesus? Refreshing comes from the presence of God now through the Holy Spirit. As we receive Christ, He, he promises the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, we're told, takes up residence in our lives, it gives us confidence of sins forgiven. It gives us a release of fears over death or, or other fears. It, it, it refreshes us by healing us from past hurts, bringing us through them, God using them for his glory. It refreshes us by giving wisdom on how to conduct our lives, to live for him in a world. But also the release of bondage to sin. Think of the refreshment that comes from that, that, that releasing from bondage to sin. But it also is talking about a time of refreshing that will come when he returns. The time of ultimate refreshment when he rules and reigns in the earth and in righteousness restores all things to that pre-sin Eden state of good. Remember when God saw all that he created and he said, it's good. It's perfect. It's right. But also, he petitions them to repentance so that the Lord may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before, in verse 20, to whom heaven, or whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken about, spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. The same Jesus they killed will return. The Jesus whom Peter and John and the others were preaching, he's in heaven right now until the time of times of restoration of all things. The remedy for sin is repentance. The turning to the Lord, a renouncing of their former ways that led to Jesus' death, so that their sins might be wiped away, erased. And that refreshment from the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, now and at his return to restore all things to perfection. It's now their choice to respond. And that's what Peter presents in our next verses here in verses 22 through 26. For, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, all, and all the prophets from Samuel and, Samuel and all those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of the, these days. 
You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Like any physician, the diagnosis and the remedy to treat the sickness is only as good as the patient's willingness to heed their words and follow it. Peter lays out to the Jews that they need to follow Jesus. He is the Messiah, the prophet that Moses spoke of. To not receive him means destruction. To receive him means blessing. Blessing and turning them away from their iniquities. But their iniquities would have no bearing on their relationship with the Lord anymore. For Moses truly said to the fathers, Lord, your God will raise up, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother, and in him you shall hear all things, whatever he says to you. Moses pointed to the Messiah as the prophet to come. They were to be looking for this Messiah and to also heed his words. You see, there was this idea in the Jews that among the Jews that the Messiah wouldn't suffer, that that he was going to be different that the prophet was going to be different from the servant. The servant suffered and the prophet was, you know, one that would uh, speak God's words to the people. And they would receive him. But Peter is saying that they're one in the same. It shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And that this was the same message that's been going on from Samuel uh, that began with the prophets with Samuel and to all those that followed, they've spoken and foretold of these days that the prophet, we need to understand a prophet was one who spoke God's word to the people, one who relayed the message of God to them. So all the prophets from Samuel onward proclaimed these days. And if you remember last week, I think it was last week or the week before, when we talked about these days, uh, these days are the days that, that Peter referenced to in from the prophet Joel, that the pouring out of the Spirit of God was going to signify this time where anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that today is the day of decision of who you will serve. And it is a time that God has allowed, a time of grace, whereas all who turn to him can be saved, that will turn and receive Jesus as Lord will be saved. But Moses gave a warning saying to reject this prophet, to not hear him, meant destruction. There's only one way to life, and that is through Jesus Christ. And the call was to repent and turn to Jesus that they may be spared of the coming judgment for those that reject him. You were sons of the prophets. These are the, you were the ones that received all these messages of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. They were the descendants that came from the line of Abraham, the one who was promised that the Messiah would come through. That's what was meant by the seed. And your seed, the Messiah, would come through them. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from your iniquities. The Jews were the privileged ones that God would use to bring forth the Messiah. He sent the Messiah to bless them first and then on to the world. But by turning in repentance from their iniquities, 
they would be spared the coming judgment. Our iniquities are what separate us from God. And the blessing of God is his ability to actually turn us away from them. And to make whole what was broken, man's relationship with God. Mark chapter 2 verse 17, Jesus was speaking, actually responding to what he overheard people saying. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we, we, we see Peter ex, explain the responsibility of his listeners. You have a choice to make. Today is the day of salvation. Receive Jesus as the Messiah, the prophet that Moses spoke of. Respond in repentance and receiving the blessing of being turned away from all your sins and spared from the destruction and judgment to come. We saw diagnosis. We saw the remedy. We saw their responsibility. And what's the result? Well, you'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> this whole message started with the healing of a lame man. A man who relied on the help and generosity of others to get by each day. This day was like no other, and, and he was completely healed. What this man wanted was just to get by, but God wanted to do something much greater in his life, much greater than he expected. Those at the temple that day, it was just another normal day of worship for them. Until they saw the miracle, until they heard the preacher that day, until they saw the man leaping and praising God. And they were confronted with the fact that they missed the, the Messiah, guilty of his death. But if, that, if they would receive him, they would receive the spiritual healing that God desired to do for them. Turning them from their sins, keeping them from the judgment to come, and entering them into a refre the refreshment of his very presence. And we'll see what happens next week. But the message goes out to us today too. Those of us who have been healed by the Lord, it should be characteristic of us that we are leaping and jumping and praising in light of what he has done. Because he has far exceeded all of our expectations. More than we even know. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, the remedy is the same. The diagnosis is the same. That without Jesus Christ, you are only facing destruction. But because of what he has done, because his life has been laid down for ours, there can be forgiveness of sin. Total turning away of us from our iniquities. Those things that separate us from God. The choice is yours today. We don't know how much longer we have in our lives. We don't know how much longer it'll be until Jesus returns. But we know that we have now as an opportunity to respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the record of what you have done. The record of these great miracles that you've, you've done through your people. The testimonies of, of 
lives being changed. Lord, truly the power is in your name, Lord. It's in you, Lord, that we are saved, Lord. That sins are remiss, Lord, that are, are forgiven for those that turn to you, Lord, and that follow you. Lord, lives that are changed that can be used by you to bring glory to you. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in us today. Lord, to remember the great things that you've saved us from, Lord, that we would be filled with joy, inexpressible, Lord, that we even leap and we sing your praises wherever we're at and that people look on and go, what is happening? That we would be filled with boldness to proclaim your goodness. That Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. He saved us. Pray that you would continue to open hearts, Lord, unto your gospel, Lord. If there's anybody here today that, that needs you or that has heard this message of, of your life, Lord, laid down for ours, Lord, that they would come up after service, Lord, and then talk. that you would stir our hearts for you, Lord, and what you desire to do through us. Let us be people of prayer. Lord, like our, the examples of Peter and John, going about to go pray at the temple. Lord, you did a mighty, mighty work through them. Prepare us for the work that you desire to do through us. We pray all these things in